Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Two Notes Audio Engineering. Two Notes is a leader in the market for loadbox, cabinet, and mic simulators. Gone are the days of having ISO rooms or having to record an amp at ear-bleeding volumes to capture that magic tone. The Torpedo Live, Reload, and Studio allow you to crank your amp up as loud as you want, but record silently. Check out www.2-notes.com for more info. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. This is going to be an experiment of an episode. In the past, on Nail the Mix, we used to do something called the Winner's Circle Chat, where the person who won the mix poll for that month came on live stream with us to kind of talk through what they did because we think that it's uh, a cool thing to have the people who win the competition share a little bit of what they're doing. Maybe it can help some of their friends out. Maybe it can get more people in the community talking. Maybe it could just make everybody hate each other and everything fall apart and we die. But hopefully it just makes for a better learning environment. However, we stopped doing those because they kind of sucked. It was really hard to get people in time zones way different than our own. On a video stream, it was hard to account for their quality of internet, and it was hard to account for their ability to speak English. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound bad, but when you have a live stream with lots and lots of people going, if if the person can't really complete sentences too well, it's a very, very big uh, downer. Whereas on a podcast, you can edit things and take your time. So we're trying to do it now as a podcast. And instead of me talking to one winner, we're talking to almost everybody who placed. So we have two polls every month. One of them is the top 20, and then we have 30 through 50. And that's not to say that we only have 50 submissions. We actually tend to get over 500 submissions a month, but we divide them into two categories. Like I said, top 20, and then the secondary poll, which is mixes 30 through 50. And me, Joey, and Joel pick what we think should be those top 50 out of like around 500 mixes, and it's pretty grueling. Then the, uh, the group votes on what they think is the best anonymously, And we end up with four winners. We end up with first place and second place out of the top 20 poll, and then first place and second place out of the secondary poll. And so right now I have three out of the four winners of May 2017's Nail the Mix mix poll. It was for a Seosin track called The Silver String. We've got Mr. Robin Lejean, Mr. Luke Edwards, Ivan Aguilar, and then... One guy decided not to be here because he just couldn't make it, Mr. Andre Benassi, but you're forever in our hearts, Andre. That said, we're going to take this hour or however long it takes to answer some questions that were submitted by other participants and to just uh, shoot the shit about what it takes to make a winning mix. So um, first person I want to talk to, just because you've placed so many times in these is uh robin robin how are you doing i'm doing fine thanks how are you doing (laughs) i'm great thank you for being here awesome i want to address something real quick with you how many times have you placed in the polls in the polls i think i placed around 10 to 12 times and how many times have you won 
It's four top 20 with this one. And I think I won two secondary polls. So you've won the top 20 four times? Yeah. Okay. And two secondary. And then I got the producer pick the first month. That's right. I remember that. And then the rest of the time, the other 10, 12 times you've placed in the top 20 or whatever, but just didn't win. Yeah, exactly. And then the rest of the time you didn't even make it in. Exactly. It was like from, um, I think it was the state champ month. From that month, I didn't place on any of the polls uh, until this uh, sales in month. And why do you think that is? I'm wondering because a lot of guys don't understand why they don't place in the polls, but you're someone who has placed multiple times, won multiple times, but then you had a stretch where you were getting nowhere with these polls. Like, what do you think happened? Did your mixes suck or were you just not focused on them or what, or just not your songs? Like what, what do you think it was? Yeah. Like some of my mixes wasn't, I didn't feel they were super great, but I like to see that if I don't make it to the polls, it just, the, the song wasn't for me, I wasn't the right person to do it. Like I couldn't give it the right vibe, the right feel that it needed. So that's basically what I feel when I don't get to the pole. And and how much do you think about it once you don't make it in? Well, I like to go through the top 20 to kind of see and to kind of hear. Uh, when you're going through the top 20 and compared to your mix, you can kind of... You can kind of hear the uh, the vibe and kind of the sound that the song needed. And sometimes when I compare, I can notice that my mix was like way different. So maybe you just got the totally wrong vibe or something. Yeah, exactly. Vibe is important. And uh, Ivan, is this your first time placing? Yeah, for sure. So and you've been with us for quite a while. Yes. And so let me ask you this. What did you do differently this month? than other months. Did you do anything differently? No, I didn't. I just uh, mixed it the way I usually would. And this time I placed. So there's nothing that... There's no, like, change to the workflow. It's just after months and months of mixing, your mix finally placed. Exactly. And what about you, Luke? Have you ever placed before? Yeah, um, I actually came second uh, in the top 20 for the Machine Head month. That's right. And I think I placed another time in the top 20. I can't remember which month it was for. And I think, yeah, for the data, I remember a month I was in the the secondary poll. Okay, so you've been in the, you've placed in the polls like four times, it sounds like, and then Basically, yeah. won something twice? Yes. Yes, you're right. Okay, that's that's a pretty good record. That's actually a really good record. <laughs> And I'll ask you the same thing here. Did you do anything differently Um, than you normally would? I think I literally do something different every single month. Like, (laughs) I like to experiment and try things. Um, I I think I've tried a little something from every single mixer that I've seen every month. Just tips and tricks that they suggest. And I try it out. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, um, yeah, I also pay very close attention to the polls and try and judge and reference to my track uh, where where was I lacking in that sort of sense, and I use that to progress in the in the months to come. And I don't get like super bummed out about it if I don't place because, to be honest, this this whole mixing thing is actually quite subjective because a lot of people have different approaches oh, yeah. and different things that they Absolutely. enjoy. So 
it's not like my mix is the best and you cannot <laughs> like disagree. It's it's like oh, I really like this mix and maybe next month I'll like a different style and yeah. Absolutely. That's well. That's one thing that I wish that more people would take to heart that it is purely subjective and when we pick our top 50 or whatever you know it is subjective mm-hmm. it's what we like the best and so for sure some people disagree with us but you know this is not this is not something that's set in stone as in that we pick these mixes so they're the best we picked those mixes cuz they were our favorites and that's very very different than Favorite versus best is two completely different things. Totally. There kind of almost is no best when it comes to this stuff. But I do think that what Robin said is super important, which is that when he didn't win, oftentimes he would analyze the mix poll and realize that his submission sounded completely different than the winners. Not necessarily better or worse, just completely different. And in that, it's like... It just emphasizes how important it is to understand the vibe of what it is that you're mixing. And it's not just about everything finding its own space frequency-wise, but also has a lot to do with how much do you actually feel the song and uh, portray it. So I have a question here from Mr. Jack Hartley. And I'm going to ask it to you first, Ivan, then Robin, than Luke. So, uh, Ivan, this is from Jack Hartley, which is, how do you typically approach mixing a Nail the Mix track? Do you aim to reinvent the wheel and try something new each month, or do you stick to your tried and test workflow and go for results you want to hear? Also, what's been the most challenging month of Nail the Mix for you so far and why? And what's been the most important thing you've learned from taking part in Nail the Mix? First thing, thanks, Jack, for the question. So um, I don't really do anything different. Um, I just import the, the stems. I take a quick look at, at them and I just start mixing. And I do basically the same I would with a, a mix for a client or a mix for my band. And what was the second part of the question, sorry? What's been the most challenging month of Nail the Mix for you so far and why? That would probably be the uh, Machine Head uh, month, which is the one I, I joined because of the track count, basically, and that it was my first month mixing. And I should uh, really mix it again just to see how much I've improved. Was that your first time mixing ever? Um, no, I had been mixing for like uh, three or four months, but nothing serious. So this was your first time mixing with like a deadline on a crazy session with a crazy track count and competition with a bunch of other people who are also mixing. Yeah, exactly. Got it. And uh, yeah, and then the third part of the question, what's the single most important thing you've learned from taking part in Nail the Mix? Hmm. Less is more, at least for me. Um, I try to keep stuff really, really simple, and I try to guide myself with my ears. Isn't it interesting that uh, most of the best mixers have pretty small uh, chains? To their plugins? Yeah. I mean, not always. Sometimes they can get some pretty lengthy ones going, but for the most part, you know, they use as few tools as possible, as well as possible. And so, Robin, how do you typically approach mixing and nail the mix track? Do you aim to reinvent the wheel and try something new each month, or do you stick to tried and true test workflow? Well, I kind of, I have a set of templates that I kind of use all the time. 
and sometimes I just know what the song needs and then I know which template I will use and I can see how it sounds and I can change some samples and maybe do some small things. I could go and do some like experimenting but I like to kind of mix as fast as possible just to move on and not think too much about it. I think that if people watch the month when Billy Decker came on or have watched any month where Joel mixes, there's a lot to be said for mixing very, very fast. And also, I want, I want to point out that a lot of the guys who have come on to do the live mixes on Now The Mix, the only reason that it took six hours is because they were talking the whole time. You know, in reality, a lot of those mixes would have been done in two hours. So ju- almost all the guys that we have on mix really fast. It's just the, you know, if we were to say, don't talk, don't explain what you're doing, just go for it. it I think it would be pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to, after the Decker month, I really like went into my templates and tried to improve them to make them more time efficient. My templates are like, some are for just import live stuff. Like I have a template I used for sales in that I just imported the live drums and added some samples, then I were done. But some of my templates are like, they take, requires a little bit more time because I have to print samples and bounce and like change that and change that. And it can, it can kind of take up to 20 minutes and that's kind of too long just to get the samples going, uh, in my opinion. I love that that's too long, because even a few years ago, that would have been considered really fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of I want to step up my game so I can be as fast as Decker, because that was insane. Yeah, and again, keep in mind that he was talking. So I got to watch on the... So whenever we do Nail the Mix, we always show up a day or two in advance to set up and test the stuff and all that. And while we were setting up the cameras and our gear, he just was like, fuck it, I'm going to mix some songs. So I got to watch him mix songs from start to finish. And it was literally like 30, 45 minutes and he's done. And it sounds incredible. That's insane. It's insane because you hear how good the result is. I know. Yeah. My goal is to aim for like, I, I can bring out the first mix to a client within like one to two hours if it just kind of clicks with my template. But if it doesn't, uh, I have to make tweaks and then it can take up to three, four hours before the first mix. That's still pretty fast, Robin. And uh, Luke, what's been your most challenging month of Nail the Mix so far? Um, well, I think my most challenging month was the first one. It was the one with neck deep because that was like the first month where I really started like mixing before that I was just doing like basic stuff like if I had an idea I would record myself playing guitar but this was the first month that I actually record was uh, mixing like a professional band with really well recorded tracks and all that stuff and I kind of didn't know what I was doing to be honest uh I was just kind of slapping things together and seeing what would happen and I actually ended up running out of time and I didn't submit that month but that was a good learning curve for me. I learned to work faster, to go with my gut more, to trust my decisions, and then also referencing and just taking advice from different people, what they liked, what they didn't like, and that sort of thing. I think my second month was definitely the Gojira month, which was actually quite recently. I I struggled with that quite hectically, <laughs> if I'm honest. But 
Yeah, it was still a good learning experience. What was tough about it? Well, just for me personally, I, I was struggling to get the low end right because when I listened to all the people in the top 20, their low end was just like crushing and it was sounding great and it was just so mixed well with all the other instruments and it wasn't like it was loud, but it wasn't overbearing. And I struggled to get that balance. Low end is oftentimes one of the absolute hardest things oh, to get yeah. right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> Especially in metal. Well, yeah, definitely in metal. So, uh, Ivan, here's one from Joseph Thibault, which is, uh, what kind of room are you mixing in? Do you have any sort of treatment? No, I'm mixing in my bedroom, actually. Same. <laughs> now, okay, so three dudes mixing in bedrooms, but what what does that mean? Because I've seen all kinds of different bedrooms, like... Do you guys have treatment? Are you mixing in headphones? Are you using monitors? Like, what's up? Well, I'm using just uh, some JBL LSR 305s. No treatment, no sub, no anything. And are those, uh, I'm sorry, are those monitors or headphones? Yes, monitors. Okay. What about you, Luke? I Yeah, I have zero treatment. I do have a sub, though, which I've brought in like a couple of months ago. It's like your basic home theater sub. It's not even that good like uh, Andrew Wade's. But it really, really, really changed my life. Andrew Wade's is a basic home theater sub, too. Yeah, but his is a little bit more expensive. Like, mine's like a ghetto sub. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it really does the job. Like, I, if I can say one thing to anyone listening to this, is you you seriously need to listen to Joel and and everyone and just get a sub because it, it really actually helps you so much just perceive what's going on down there and it, it, it made my mixes improve by like at least 50%. I've always liked mixing with a sub. I know some people don't use one and, uh, you know, more power to them. But in my opinion, they're getting good mixes despite not having a sub, not because they don't have a sub. Mm. And what about you, Robin? Well, I'm in a room with no treatment, but I use monitors, but it's a Swedish made. And I my headphones are the Focal Spirit Pro. And I kind of like to start with mixing with the headphones and start to reference in the monitors because I like to use the headphones. I can get my low and right in my headphones because I trust them that much because I've, I've used them a, lo- a long time. And if I hear a tight low end, then I know it's tight in my mix. And I like to walk around the room to kind of hear the low and sweet spots. And I can take a mix that has like zero low end and hear in those sweet spots that it hasn't has no low end. Then I know and I can check with the, my mix. And if it has, then I know it has. So we always tell people not to mix in headphones. However, you can mix in headphones if you do it right. And one of Reference the keys... A lot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one of the keys... Like, if you're going to mix... Or if your name's Robin. Well, he references a lot. I mean, if you're going to mix in headphones, you need to reference. Like, your reference game has got to be on point. Yeah. Like, there's you can't just mix in headphones. I mean, I don't suggest you do it all, but, like, some people just do it anyways. And they do... Hey, man, Nolly does too, and his mixes sound yeah, great. True. So, And I know For that sure. Will Putney has also mixed some great-sounding records in headphones. You know, I think that it's one of these things where... It's just not ideal. It's not the best way to do it, but you know, it proof is in done. the pudding. You can, you can't. Yes, it can definitely be done, 
But the thing that all of those guys have in common is they have great reference material. And if you hear what Robin is saying that he still does walk around the room with speakers and check for the low end. So take that to heart, guys that are listening. I don't want you listeners to be like, see, they use headphones and it's fine. I can just use any headphones and not work on my referencing or anything and it'll be fine because they said it's fine. Yeah, and you kind of need to have the right head headphones as well. Absolutely. Like, I would never be able to mix in another pair of headphones than the vocals. Those are pretty good. Yeah. I do like them. And they're very honest. So if you, you can kind of, if you listen to a mix and it sucks, then you know it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ivan, what was a month where you thought you had a killer mix, but you didn't make it into the top 20? And then when you went back and re-listened to your mix that didn't make it, what do you think caused it not to be chosen? Well, I think that would be per the Periphery Month. I thought they had a an awesome mix, like I was going to win the poll for sure, but... Um, you just knew that you had it. Yeah, and then um, the next week I just uh, listened back to it and it was horrible. <laughs> yes. Uh, like my my low end was out of control. There were no highs. It all, it all sounded really 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 muddy. So uh, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> have Have you done that too, Luke? Where you you're like, yeah, I'm gonna. This is I got this in the bag. Yeah, I'm gonna win. And then it's like you don't even place, and you're like, what the fuck? And then a week later, you listen, and you're like, damn, my mix sucks. That's exactly what's happened to me. <laughs> and more than once. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so what's one month where that happened? Um, that was the Chelsea Grin month, uh, actually. I was convinced that I was going to do really well, and I didn't. <laughs> and then I listened to the mix back like a few weeks later, and my, my kick uh, low end was just crazy. It was like out of whack. I don't know why I boosted the low end so much on that. Um, a ton of other things, but yeah, that was just one example. Uh, do you remember what a few of the other things were? Uh, you mean about the mix of that month that I did wrong? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think it was just comparing to the other mixes and I guess the vibe of the song. It wasn't as uh, blended, well, like it, there wasn't balanced well. It wasn't a mix. It was just kind of instruments in space. I found that um, for this track, it needed to be really well glued together, like one big machine moving forward. <laughs> and I didn't really accomplish that for that month. And why do you think it is that at the time you thought that it was amazing and you couldn't hear that it was disjointed sounding? I guess I just mixed it the way I, I like to hear songs. Like I like to um, have the kick like hit you in the chest really hard and I like the the snare drum to be like slamming, like have a good crack. And and I did all that stuff that I really enjoy. And I was like digging the mix and I referenced it a lot. I even, I think Robin actually gave me a courtesy crit <laughs> and he also digged it. And, um, and yeah, then when we submitted and the results came out, so I found out in place, it was kind of disappointing, but at a later point I could actually understand when comparing to everyone else's why it didn't make it. And it was a subjective thing. It wasn't really like you were wrong. It was just like you can improve here, 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 and here. Well, sometimes one thing I've noticed that a lot of the students who submit 
do, which I think is wrong, is that they work on the mix for too long. Yeah. And they work on it too long yes. every day and then also too loud. And yes. so here's a for instance. We had one of our uh, admins, uh, Rodney, he came to the Seosin mix and he sat there and Bo listens to he monitors very quietly, like you're supposed to, like we always say to. And Rodney was blown away by how quiet quiet really is because he's never been in a room with actual quiet mixing, like the kind that we tell people to do. So when he heard us talk about mixing quietly in the past, his version of what quietly meant was way louder than what we meant. And so if a lot of people are doing that and are mixing too loud for too long, their perception of what their mix sounds like is gone. Yeah. So they don't. their opinion is not based on reality anymore. And I think that lots of the students are doing this to themselves without even realizing that they're doing this to themselves. And so then once they get a break for like a week or two or three, then they can finally hear the mix for what it actually is. So here's one for you, Robin. This is from Tom Farron, which is, how often, if ever, do you use sidechain or parallel compression? Oh, this guy's the king of parallel compression. <laughs> <laughs> so, like parallel compression, I had like uh, different periods when I did different things with parallel compression. Like a year back from now, I kind of used parallel compression on each shell drum. Like I used one for snare, I used one for tom, I used one for the kick. And um, I just did because I like to have that uh, natural compression. You can kind of slam them because without it noticing too much. And side chaining, I love to side chain my kick to the base, so it kind of ducks, and you get that. If you do it right, you kind of get a more. If you have a live kick, you can kind of get that consistent sound I don't um, yeah you get that kind of when the bass ducks you get it more tight kick sound so it kind of gets that consistent I like to call it the Joey kick it just stays through and kicks in the face every time it comes like yeah that ultra that ultra consistent yeah exactly timed so yeah I like to I like to do that with side chaining but that's the only siding I shading I do you actually Made a video about parallel compression. Yeah, and that's how I I like to like use parallel compression nowadays, just to use like one sus- sustained parallel compression and then one master to slam the whole kit together. So if you guys want to see the video that he made on parallel compression, just look in the show notes for this episode, and we're linking it. It's really good. Here's one, and this one's for you, Luke. This is from Patricio Jesus, which is, what do you guys do for a living, if you don't mind me asking? Also, where does music fall in your lives? Is this mostly recreational, or do you all have professional goals? And we'll start with you, Luke. Okay, my day job is actually, I'm a technical customer support associate. I work for Amazon Web Services right now. So yeah, I mainly do IT and computer stuff, if you can dumb it down to that. And uh <laughs> and yeah, uh, music is my main passion in life, really. It's it's always been a passion project. Um, I'm in two bands at the moment, and I'm actually busy uh, recording uh, an album for each of them at the moment, and it's going pretty well. 
I don't do music as a full-time job or even part-time. I, yeah, it's mainly for the passion of it. And I mean, if it one t- one day gets to the stage where people are coming to me, like I start getting clients and charging for it and it becomes a sustainable job, then I'll totally do it. I mean, I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd be doing what I love for money. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I'm at. And what about you, Ivan? Well, um, I'm only 19, so I just had my last exam yesterday for I'm, I'm doing a programming course I'm trying to do mixing for a living but I still have a long way to go and Robin I'm a student and uh, but I study over the internet so I'm basically home all day being able to kind of prove in my mixing and well my main income is from school and then I get, I yeah, wait, get your main income is from school. Yeah, your school pays you money. <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking. I want to go to that school. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. You want to explain this? <laughs> you get like a certain amount of money. Oh, like an allowance. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm studying at the university, and I can only get money for a certain amount of weeks. I think it's two hundred forty weeks some you can get money for and then i have a small student loan to kind of pay off things and just to kind of make me go by but the worst part is during the summers that i don't get any money at all so i try then i try to get as much mixing jobs as possible so i can kind of make it through the summers and i i mix well i'm not part-time but if you would take it to a job scenario uh, maybe twenty five percent. But you're definitely going for hundred percent. Yeah, totally. I'm starting to getting bigger clients, and um, so yeah, it's it's going better. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Here's a question, and we can start with you, Robin, since we're already talking to you from Bruno Riberio, which is, what made you decide to start recording and mixing? Any memorable moment that you want to share as a lesson for those starting out? Thanks and congrats. Oh, it was actually during my high school days. My teacher, I went to a like a special forums program that had like ITU, that had music and uh, video. But I chose the more music path, and he he kind of forced me to into. He wanted someone to be more involved into recording. And so me and my friends started to record and then I had to I had to mix them and I felt it was so fun so I can just started and then we had a band together. So we had it as a fin- final school project. So that was kind of my first real mixing experience. And that's how it kind of uh, started. And from there it just grew more and more. But but didn't go like serious till like um, around the podcast started, and one year after that, the podcast started. I started to really take it more serious because I noticed I was getting much better. So, <laughs> next question, Ivan. This one's from John Gansner, which is, uh, what is it that you find the most difficult to overcome in your mixes? Probably. Spending too much time. That's a good one. Uh, now I'm um, spending much little time with my mixes. I used to like 
mix for three or four days. Same, yeah. Just for a song. Yeah, a lot. And now I've pretty much boiled it down to like one or two hours. Nice. Yeah, I, I think that's the that's the main thing, yeah. That's great. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I'm the same. Like, I used to spend freaking days, weeks on a mix and until I was sick to death of that song. But now I've... Uh, I've made my workflow much faster using, I've only recently started using like the whole template vibe and that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I spend about yeah, the same as Ivan, like an hour, hour, two hours on a song in total. And then the rest of the time it's just uh, referencing, uh, listening on different systems, maybe some automation tweaks if I find something's a bit spiky on a different set of speakers or yeah, that kind of thing. That's great. Robin, here's one from Jake LaRoche, which is, when mixing guitars, what do you focus on the most? Is it the relationship with bass, the overall tone, vocal support, or rhythm power? Those are just some ideas. Thanks, guys. Well, uh, guitars is like the most fastest part for me. I just kind of load up a tone, and then I do my usual mixing, and then I leave it from there. And then I kind of... The way... I don't know, but... The way I mix things kind of just seems to gel together well. Even though I, I use a lot of additive stuff as of late. So so I kind of like to add more and more. And then like, I don't cut those frequencies. Maybe if it's too much mid-range or if there's... If vocals are clashing with the guitars or the overheads, I kind of like to just cut off some of the 3K. But that's basically it. I don't think too much of it, so kind of just go with the flow. Moral of the story is don't overthink things. Trust your guts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's been a consistent theme with everything we've been talking about, which is spending less time mixing, getting through things quickly, making decisions, yeah. And don't overthink things. That will lead to better mixes. Yes. That's been my biggest lesson uh, throughout Nail the Mix is just moving forward and trusting your, your gut, you know. It's good to learn how to do that. I, I feel like too many times guys find it easy to question themselves and listen over and over and over. And they just get into this weird spiral of negativity. And the mixes don't get better from that point on. All that happens is they start to sound weirder and weirder and weirder. Luke, here's a question for you from John Garcia. Was there anything in Bo's live mix that really surprised you? Like, for instance, how differently he solved a problem or got a sound? Yeah, definitely. Um, I found it so interesting uh, how many parallel chains he had and uh, when he was mixing the drums. It, it kind of made, it actually made sense to me in the end why he would do that because you can fine tune every single aspect of your drum tone um, with just a bunch of faders. And he pretty much got the sound he was after really quickly. And it was a great sounding mix altogether. That's what really surprised me is just how many different parallel chains he had and that sort of mixing style. I really liked that. Do you have anything to add to that, Ivan? No, I think pretty much the same, yeah. Well, you, Robin? I was very impressed by when he <laughs> said he basically replaced all the drums. <laughs> that surprised me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like... When I referenced the mix when I was mixing it, I was like, damn, this got, he got those drums sound really good. How did he do it? And then in the live mix, he was like, yeah, but I decided just to scratch that. And you're kind of like, oh. Well, yeah, but at the same time, they don't yeah. sound fake. No, they don't. Sounds natural. Yeah, they sound great. They just sound really good. So to me, 
what's really impressive is that he got them sounding that good and natural and flowy with such a good vibe, 100% replaced. Like, I, if you had asked me, you know, before that day, do I think that these are 100%, 50%, or 0% replaced? I would have said 25 to 30%. I would say it's mainly natural, but like with some samples for reinforcement, but not 100%. For sure, yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah, kind of like the neck deep month with uh, Wade, where he used samples just to kind of lift up the lounge yeah, live drums. Yeah, that's what I thought it was like. And it just goes to show that there's no right or wrong when it comes to using a tool like samples. It's all in how you use it. Samples doesn't mean that your drums have to sound fake or like a machine gun or like drums in space. That's just a bad use of samples. Just like when you tune vocals, it doesn't mean that it has to sound like share or teeping, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't have to sound that way. That's a, it can sound that way, but it doesn't have to sound that way. It's all in how you use it. And so when people start to criticize the tools, it wears me out because it's like the tool is completely independent of the use for it. You don't judge an inanimate object like a tool, judge the person using it. If there's anything I hate in this world is it's like this elitist attitude towards anything like mixing and yeah. it's like you can't yep. do this that's that's not right you're gonna go to mixing jail and it's like what dude like <laughs> i'm mixing a song <laughs> yeah and like the, yeah and when people are clashing down on samples yeah uh, say like big producer doesn't use them yeah just look at cla yeah he uses samples so and i bet you have listened to like some for one or any like or anything else he's done green day for example oh green day oh my word all on the american indian album the kick really? is a one shot so i didn't actually know that i didn't know that yeah there you go i mean there you go it's uh all in the hands of the user yeah for sure the users who determines if something is good or bad not the tool itself the tool is just a tool but yeah there's a lot of weird elitism in a lot of audio groups and audio in general. And you know that we try to avoid that shit um, in our little neck of the internet because I fucking hate that stuff. Like, Yeah, it's an endless discussion yeah, that will like, never Exactly, end. just go in circles, eating its own tail. And for what? Like, what are people even really arguing? Most of the time, the people arguing don't know what the fuck they're doing when it comes to mixing. <laughs> you listen to one either. of their mixes. Like, yes. And that's the thing <laughs> like, that, what the hell? that, yeah, like, well, that's sometimes why when I used to engage these people, I don't anymore. I haven't for a while. I'd be like, all right, I want to hear your mix. <laughs> <laughs> Send me a mixtape, fam. Yeah. Before I listen to another word that you're going to say about samples or not samples, I want to hear your best sounding natural drum mix. And if you don't have one, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and to the people who are all about tube amps are so much better than Kempers or whatever. Oh, yeah. And hey, man, I love tube amps. I've got some great tube amps, of course. And I grew up on those. They're fantastic. However, the Kemper is also fantastic. And I find that most guys who talk shit have never even used a tube amp yep. in their life. <laughs> they wouldn't know how to mic up a cabinet if it landed on their fucking mom. Like, so that's why it's just pointless to argue with these people online. Yeah. And that's why we just totally don't even allow that stuff on our groups or in our community. It's just pointless. And 
negative and we prefer that if someone's going to have a really strong opinion, they better be able to back it up. Yeah, I love and, our uh, community. Yeah, community's great. Okay, from Dominic Koenig, Robin. How much time do you spend on listening to rough tracks before you start mixing? Do you take notes while doing it? How do you feel or approach gut mixing? And how do you apply the gut mixing to your template workflow? I never listen to rough tracks. I just import them and see how it sounds in my Boom. template. What's the point of, right? What's the point of even listening to the rough tracks? Yeah. Well, like, I, I don't know. I don't get a vibe from listening to rough tracks. Like, I, if I listen to a clean DI, I, I can't tell, uh, like, he, how it's going to sit in mix. <laughs> okay, I'm a little different to you guys. Like, when I when the stems are released for the month, the first thing I do is download them and I listen to every single, well, not every single track, but, like, I like listening to the DIs because I can actually hear the quality, like, how much sheen it has and how I can, I also listen to, like, the snare drum and all the different mics. And I just, I like listening to how it is dry before I actually dive into like all the EQ and compression and samples and all that stuff. But yeah, that's just because I'm a freak. Yeah, I, like, I really enjoyed listening to the drum tracks yeah, from the Decamon. Those were like really amazed about how they sounded. I was Nashville, like, oh dude. man, this sounds nothing like rock <laughs> yeah, tracks. Yeah, the, the, the standards yeah. <laughs> in Nashville are unbelievable. Well, here's the thing. I kind of fall in between where you guys are. I completely understand from the aspect of speed mixing to where in all reality you really don't need to listen to the raw tracks there's really no point just bring them in and if there's a problem deal with the problem once the settings are on because that's what you hear that's what the listener hears they hear a mix so because there's plenty of times where you'll hear a problem in a raw track and then you throw an amp on it or something you throw a gone. mix on it and the problem's gone. So, however, just because I like to know how good things are or aren't, I'll sometimes check out raw tracks just to, just because I want to hear what someone's room sounds mm. like or something. Or I want to hear if they submitted a shitty sounding DI or in like the case of Andrew Wade, like I know that his DIs are like some of the best I've ever heard. I can agree so on I'll that. So I'll always one. check out his DIs. Yes. Yeah. I'll always check out his DIs just because it's so good sounding. I just want to hear it. Like that's all. I just want to hear it. Andrew Wade's DIs sound like liquid six. They do. <laughs> I don't understand why they sound that good, but they really yeah. do sound great. Yeah. Got that Wade touch. Yeah. Which is a great touch. But the, the thing is, and I got to say that, uh, there's been plenty of times where I get a raw track and I hear it and I'm like, oh, it sounds like shit. And then I watch somebody else mix it and make it sound incredible. And uh, that's why I've kind of decided that I don't really listen to them too much because I've seen too many mixers take things that I thought sounded bad and made it sound really, really good. Yeah, true that. To where I'm with Robin. I'm with Robin on it. Just put the settings on it, go from there. But, uh, you know. Sometimes curiosity gets the better of me. So, first of all, congrats to you guys and to our uh, missing winner, Andre Benassi, for having the balls to submit month after month and for uh, winning. Thank you guys for being a part of our community. It means the world to us. And do you guys have any last words before we kill you? How about you, Luke? I'd like to thank, thank the family. Yeah, thanks, fam. No, no, I like I love this community so much and I've I've just learned so much from the beginning and uh, I will pretty much never I'll never unsubscribe from URM because it's just 
the the stuff you get here, you just can't get anywhere else, I think. And for the price, it's crazy. Well, thanks for being a part of it. Anything else you guys want to add? Any messages to the listeners or just go fuck themselves and die? <laughs> B-U-R-M or be nothing. That's, that's right. Yo. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Two Notes Audio Engineering. Two Notes is a leader in the market for Loadbox, Cabinet, and Mic Simulators. Gone are the days of having ISO rooms or having to record an amp at ear-bleeding volumes to capture that magic tone. The Torpedo Live, Reload, and Studio allow you to crank your amp up as loud as you want, but record silently. Check out www.2-notes.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit nailthemix.com slash podcast and subscribe today.